the ride is over. Yet, in many ways, it feels like it's just begun. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two against the wall. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. I don't know about you, buddy, but I feel like every end has a different sort of feeling to it. No end of a season ever feels exactly like another one. And this one fills you with a, a very unique feeling. And you could make the case that it's similar to 2016 because it still felt like the beginning of something. A continuation was possible the next season. But that doesn't quite feel the same either. You could make the case that we never thought that the 2016 team would accomplish what they did. But by the time you were nearing the postseason, there were some expectations on that group. Injuries changed that, and of course, that was always a, a, uh, a fluid situation, I felt like, at the end of that year. The emotional roller coaster that was 2022 will be one I will not soon forget, maybe never forget. Because in this case, you started from a, I wouldn't even say a low, it was starting like you didn't even know you were on the ride. You didn't even know you got on that roller coaster. And then you opened your eyes and now you're, you're living the thrilling highs. And as the playoffs go, you're also experiencing the, the lows and the, the disappointment that the ride is over before you hope that it would be over. But to me, I can't compare this end to anything else, any other season, because this season was so unlike many of the other seasons that we have covered and we have experienced growing up. What do you think? <laughs> I remember going to Minneapolis for the weekend of September 9th and thinking, all right, this should be interesting. Let's, let's see what sort of experience these guys gain in games that have some meaning. And I remember booking the trip for Chicago and Texas at the end of the season and when I booked it, I think they, uh, like a week later is when they went and struggled against the Mariners and the Orioles. And I remember telling people like, oh, man, I've got a newborn at home and I'm going to spend a week on the road in Chicago and Texas to cover some meaningless baseball again. Like, what a stupid decision. I should have just done one of the cities. I didn't expect this. I, I told myself, let's treat September like it's October and work really hard and just dive headfirst into my work because I figured the season would end and I'd spend time with my kid and I'd relax and it would be the off season and maybe play some golf. And I mean, we're talking here on the morning of October 19th. I didn't think we'd be doing a, a season post-mortem this late. And that's a credit to the players who I think connected to the fans so much because they were on the same journey you were. They had never been through this. They thought, hey, we can do anything. We can make a run. We can shock people. 
but they didn't know that they could do that. None of those guys had ever played in October before. So I think that's what made it such an easy connection for everybody. Those of us covering the team, like we can say it was a blast because they kept defying the odds. They kept surprising us and they kept doing it in dramatic fashion, which is always what you want as a writer. And then for the fan base, it was, I'm sure, just one surprise after another. It's the same thing. I mean, the Cavs opened their season tonight. You didn't have any, there was no grace period between those seasons. I think that's a victory in itself. You don't have to sit there and watch the Browns or talk about the Browns for a few days to to pass the time. Um, so I, I, I think... Yeah, I, I, you're right. It's a good point. You know, every single season, how it ends is different. And you have to keep in mind, it's it's not, it's never going to be the same, right? It's We've talked about it, that honeymoon period where you have a team that was not expected to do anything and far exceeds your expectations. That's the sweet stuff. That's like, you're in that zone where it's pretty hard for them to leave you with a sour taste in your mouth all off season. But that goes away pretty quick. And then expectations arrive. And maybe the regular season journey is just, it's impossible for it to be as enjoyable. And you're just counting down the days till next October, which is never guaranteed. So I think for fans, it's, it's good to savor it, reflect back on the journey and the fun you had, especially if you were invested from day one. If you stuck through April and May when things looked kind of gross and you had to watch Yu Chang and Oscar Mercado. Because if you did all that, I think you got a pretty good payoff. You got a better one than you expected. And I think in sports, a lot of times, that's all you can ask. This was absolutely the Goldilocks zone, though. It was perfect. Not too hot, not too cold. It was the fun of the postseason. And unfortunately, in some regard, and fortunately in others, because many teams would die to be in the position that Cleveland was in, you raise your own expectations as it goes on. And you can tell yourself in, the, in Game 5 against the Yankees, with this youngest team in baseball facing this juggernaut that has this hefty payroll, and they're not supposed to be here, this was not in my plans. I never thought I would be sitting here, as you said, in the middle of October, rooting on this baseball team, it doesn't take away from the frustration you feel or even the anger that you feel or or the desire for, for Tito to have started a different pitcher than the one that got beat up in the first inning. And as much as you, you know, realistically, this season was a success, in the moment, it's not going to feel that way. You're not going to feel great about it. And the thing is, I think you can you should embrace those feelings. I think you should be upset. I think you should be sad. I think you should be disappointed. We, we often say, don't, we don't want to tell you how to feel. In this case, I'm going to tell you how to feel. But my feeling here is experience it as you need to. Go through the frustrations. Vent your anger. Be mad about it. That's good. Through that, I think you will be able to enjoy it more if you get past those feelings, if you get those things out. You can never fully appreciate the good moments if you don't digest the, the feeling of anger that you feel 
the feeling of frustration that you wake up feeling today, that your team isn't going to Houston to go play the Houston Astros. That's great. I don't think, if, if you just don't let yourself feel that, then this will never feel quite real. And so I'm not going to tell people to, to not, to just focus on the positives. No, allow yourself to be upset and frustrated. And I think you'll be better off for it. And you'll be able to experience this offseason maybe a, lot, a little bit more joyously or joyfully. And uh, yeah, I just, I just think it's important that you process the feelings that you feel. Don't, it, it don't if, if you don't feel like focusing on the positives today, don't. Just digest all of your feelings so that you can get past it. And then maybe you'll, you can look back on 2022 as a whole and appreciate it for what it was. Who would have thought that you'd even be in position to be able to feel that frustration and that disappointment? I mean, this certainly looked like it was set up to just be a season of apathy. When we came into the season six months ago, or seven months ago, if you want to talk spring training, what was the conversation? The name change, the falling sign, the rebranding that went poorly. The fact that they didn't do anything in the offseason. The lockout. Remember, we for 99 days of this podcast, we talked about there being no baseball and <sighs> Rob Manfred, and you had to bleep me out one episode. And I mean, going into the season, it was, I think there was, it was like half frustration with how things had gone. Oh, by the way, Jose Ramirez, is he going to stick around or be traded? And there was just half apathy. Just why should I be invested in this team? Well, here we are six months later and you had reason to be invested. And you were so invested that you're listening to this podcast and you're reflecting on game five and thinking about missed opportunities and things that are going to eat at you all off season. That's what makes sports great. The fact that you can... It can trigger those emotions because it looked like this season wasn't going to do that. It looked like it was just going to be sputtering to the finish line and another losing season and just kind of caught in the middle. And eh, I guess you're just waiting on some prospects in a few years, but will it be good enough to, to make this team a legitimate contender? And what are they going to do with Ramirez and then Bieber? And who is in the core of this team moving forward? Like they answered so many questions. And in doing so, they gave us a pretty good, pretty entertaining journey to follow. I don't know that anyone expected that back in March or April or even May or even June. Yet here we are. And now the offseason is shorter. We've already cut into two or three weeks of this podcast that would have been talking about Brian Reynolds and Pablo Lopez and Sean Murphy. That's, that's pretty good. That's a good start. It's a good, it is a good start. You're right. And this offseason, there, there will be an acceleration here. And Terry Francona's quote at the end of the, of the season here, I, I don't remember exactly what he said. Maybe you can sum it up better. But just about this being, it needs to be the beginning of something. You can't let this just fade away and this just be a fluke sort of a season. And there is a belief there within those clubhouse walls that it is the start of something great. But you need to 
It's on the players, it's on the front office to make sure that this continues into next year. He had two good lines. The first, he said, We probably went further than anybody expect, except the people in that room thought they would go. I just reminded them of that. I know they're hurting right now because they care and they worked unbelievably hard, but I hope as that wears off, they'll realize just how proud we are of them and how much we care about them. I also reminded them that this needs to be the starting place for us. This can't just be a good story this year. We need to take this and go because I think we have a chance to have something really special. Now, after that, he was asked some of the most ridiculous questions by New York media. I can't believe it. He was I'm asked. He, he, first of all, bef- before the game, someone asked Aaron Boone, how do you feel about your team? So anyone who says Cleveland media is soft or go to New York and Philly and you'll get the really tough questions, like just a reminder, because I've, I've heard someone, there's a Browns reporter who started coming to more Indians games a handful of years ago and said, man, the questions here are soft. And I never understood that because that individual asks nothing but softballs and random questions about the 26 man on the roster. But anyway, yeah, someone asked Aaron, Aaron Boone, how do you feel about your team? That was the question before the biggest game of the season. Anyway, uh, one New York reporter said, why did the Yankees move on and you didn't? Um, Tito said, because they won one more game than we did. Uh, someone said, <laughs> someone asked for his pick between the Yankees and Astros. <laughs> like, are you <laughs> Hold on. He looked hold on. Whoa, hold on. Hide the kids for a minute. Hide the kids. Hit pause if you're at work. If this is out loud somewhere and people shouldn't be hearing four-letter words, just skip forward 15 seconds starting now. Are you fucking serious? (laughs) Are you fucking serious? What the hell kind of answer do you think you're going to get? Oh, my God. All right, welcome back to the show. (laughs) <laughs> this, this is five minutes after his season ends. He's got a lot of emotions going on. And it was on the heels of some questions that like were impossible for him to answer anyway. And and he, so you could see him like getting more and more red and wanting to spontaneously combust. And he just said, I have no idea. I have no idea. We're five minutes out done from losing the game. I have no idea. Um, but he had this, then yeah then there was a rambling question about payrolls and teams going up against teams that spent more on their players and it was just very convoluted and he finally said you guys are asking questions i have no idea anyway but he did say i just got done talking to a bunch of guys who are broken hearted in there because we care about them and they've shown that although we didn't get to our final destination it's a pretty good year. A lot of things happened that I don't think people were expecting. Where it goes from here, that's up to us. We have to, we're going to have to take it and do better. So, kind of along the lines of what you're saying. Um, but yeah, this this needs to be this needs to be the launching off point because it's we've said it many times, like nothing is guaranteed. And so when you get to the postseason, you have to capitalize on it. Now, it's tough to do. I This roster, I think they got pretty much the most they could out of it. But 
you know, you can't just cruise into next season and think, all right, because they did this with this group of young players, that means the players are going to all develop and they're going to be better and they'll go deeper in the playoffs. You never know. So there's work to do. There are improvements for individuals and the front office to make. And we'll see where it goes. Let's point something out real quick. Those postseason pre and post with managers, with players, they often get bogged down by some silliness. And the reason for it, most of the day-to-day on the grind, the beat reporters and writers do not go to those. They do not. This is different than the in the NBA postseason. It's such the post game and sometimes even the pregame is as much an event, and I think as much for people to get in front of the camera and say their name and affiliation and have that broadcast everywhere as the game itself. Baseball is not like that. The clubhouse is opening up at the same time that they're bringing in the manager, they're bringing in a few players, a handful of players. Oftentimes, writers and reporters will grab this, the same guy that was up on the podium. But you don't have to go in there because, like, uh, before the game, you you privately get a chance to chat with the manager before everybody else does nationally. At least in Cleveland, they're gracious enough to do that. And... You also get the transcripts. So you, you've anything that's said in there, you've, you've got the quotes for later. The real juicy stuff is going to be you going into the clubhouse and talking to the players yourself. And that's how you can, if everyone else nationally is focused on the podium, you can hurry up and get what you need and talk to a player by yourself in the clubhouse. So that's why it is so ridiculous. It's people that don't normally cover the team in there asking these questions. And then maybe locally you feel some responsibility to be in there so it's not completely ridiculous and you have to ask something that's kind of obvious just as you need to keep it moving. So that's why that is what it is. That, that is, it's ridiculous. And most of, the time, most of the time you don't get anything too good coming out of that. I hope you gained something good from listening to this show all year. I didn't want to put this at the end of the show after everyone had already left and been disappointed. And we're going to recap a little bit about Game 5. It's not going to be too much dwelling on that. But it is important to look back just a bit before we go and push the story forward. I just want to say thank you to everyone that has been here throughout this year. This has been so much fun. Doing this show with you, Zach, has been such a joy. And this team has made it... There were times last year where we we obviously did not want to record shows every single week and... And it was because just of the support of the listeners and keeping keeping us on task that we even did some of those shows. There were times that I, I, I could not wait to sit down and do the show and talk about what was happening with you. It was so much fun covering this season and being able to do this twice a week. And it's because of our listeners and our supporters over at Patreon that keep this show running. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for taking the time. It gets easy to forget about that because... We do the show, we say we look at each other, and then we push it off into the, the interweb, and we, we hope people are listening. We don't know. It's not quite like a, a radio show where people are calling in, or even people that are listening to it are not reacting to it on Twitter. So sometimes I don't know if people are listening. I don't know if people are reacting. 
Through the Discord, we've gotten some sense that people are indeed listening and maybe listening too much to the silliness that we say at times. It, I just wanted to take a few mi minutes to just shine some appreciation on the listeners that keep us doing this, that have supported the show, that have created their own community at, at Discord. Find us at patreon.com slash selbyisgodcast where we're going to continue pumping out tons of content throughout the offseason. But it was important to just give some thanks. We're here because of you guys. You folks keep this show running. And it, it's one of the most fun things that I get to do in my life is just sit here and talk baseball with you. So thanks to you, too. I appreciate you. Well, I can't thank you enough. I mean, you are the the anchor of this ship and you know you you carry us i mean everything the fact that you I, look this this playoff schedule is not accommodating to a podcast especially with uh the the plan we had in place and and how frequently we wanted to release content after each playoff game so the fact that you went and recorded your own 25 minute post game reaction and I mean I I think I speak for many listeners we wanted more. Why did you stop at 25 minutes? <laughs> it was only like 1:30 in the morning at that point. I could have gone yeah. for for longer. You're right. But man, I I remember when we when we hit like 100 Patreon supporters, we thought that was such a big deal. We were so excited. We were counting down when we got to like the 80s and 90s. And it's understandable. Like, the team was an unknown mess six months ago. And we get it. Like, a lot of times, you know, how many people want to want that extra content to talk about to, so they could listen to our weekly Bradley Zimmer talks last offseason? I mean, it, it's we've come a long way in a short amount of time. So, yeah, we can't thank everyone enough. I mean, we've talked for years about how we wanted to build some sort of community so that it's not just about TJ and me, but it's about all of you interacting with each other and having a place where you know you can go talk about the team you care about with other people who feel the same way. So it's just been such a healthy season, and it's grown a ton. We love that, and it's it's awesome. I mean, I I, I see things in the Discord every day that I'm like, huh, I hadn't thought about that. I need to steal that and use it for an article. No, but I, it, it's, we get great questions. We get great conversations. It's, this was, this wasn't the plan from day one, but like, this is, this is, per, it's been perfect. And hopefully that discord stays on fire all off season. I'm sure there will be plenty to talk about. And do we'll I do I start a Cavs here. channel? Whoa! I already saw some Cavs know. discussion within there, so maybe maybe that's, that's what the people want. But that's the thing is like they're not the Cavs have exited the honeymoon phase and are now in the expectations phase. Is that as fun? Well, if they're winning, yeah. yes, yeah, yes. It's just but, weird. You're you're not living and dying with every regular season game, right? It's just about what happens in. The playoffs. I still think they're in the the new enough phase where a good regular season feels good. Even in the earlier days of LeBron, 
where there were expectations that they're going to go win, you still liked when they they got past the 50-win plateau and they're going to be nearing 60 wins or anything like that. That was still fun. There was still that level of expectation. When so they were not posing quite... for, for pictures, remember that year on the sideline? Yes, like... yeah. Yes. I don't think they're quite into the second LeBron run where legitimately no one gave a crap yeah. about any of the regular season and in some ways the first two rounds of the postseason. <laughs> not quite there yet. And the, the Guardians will near that territory. They're going to start next year with, with some legitimate expectations. Is it going to be to go win a title? I don't know. But I think in Cleveland, everyone is going to expect them to at least go in that division for sure. And anything below that, it, there's probably going to be some sense of disappointment. And I think rightfully so, given the youth in the roster. Now, you made a good point. You can't just assume that everyone's going to come back and everyone's that Andre Semenes is going to have another spectacular season. Uh, even Jose Ramirez is just going to keep rolling and being the same player that he's been constantly in the MVP discussion. You can't just assume that Oscar Gonzalez is going to take strides forward, that he's even going to be as good as he was this year. You can't make those assumptions based on, for a number of players, half a regular season or less of playing time. So it's going to be very important to continue to push this forward as much as possible, to, to look for acquisitions that can help some of what ailed this team in the postseason. I mean, the bench, we were screaming about going to get more pinch hitters in the game for the catchers, yet if you looked at the bench, it wasn't like any of them were screaming, oh yeah, I'm feeling great about getting Will Benson and I'm bad here. Is that better than Luke Maley? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. So there are clearly things, because this, this wasn't a finished product. I had to keep reminding myself as I was watching the, the postseason and thinking, oh, they don't have that right-handed first-base compliment to Naylor. What's going on? Well, of course they don't, because they weren't supposed to be in the postseason against the Yankees. So they don't have that, that element of their roster fixed yet. But when you get into next year, you better make sure that that part is fixed. You better make sure that you've made some additions to cure some of those ailments. And it'll be fun. That, that's what's going to make this offseason fun. There was some element of, of that this past offseason. We knew they wanted to, to make some moves to improve the club, maybe spend a, a, a little bit of money. And they whiffed on a lot of it. And in, in some ways, it felt like a failure up to the point that they extended Jose Ramirez and then things drastically changed. But I think this, this is going to be a fun offseason. It's just... It's happening sooner now than everyone was hoping it was going to come. And regardless of whether or not you were supposed to be here, that doesn't change the fact that you wake up feeling disappointment. It's, yeah, it, it's crazy how, like, going into the season, I remember having a conversation with a team of executive in, must have been March, we were in spring training, and the thought was, like, they expected... They didn't know what the season would bring. And they look, they, they say it every year. Like, we hope to be competitive, yada, yada, yada. That's fine. That probably seemed more like wishful thinking this season than in others. But they said, you know, we understand, like, our best team of whatever this run is, is probably not going to be 2022. It's probably going to be 2024 or thereabouts. Well, it's amazing how... Not just fan expectations can change, but internally, 
things can change. And they plan and prep and project everything, right? And yet, sometimes even they have to vastly change things because of a season like this. So, you know, I don't know if they're still targeting 2024 as like the season. I don't think you can approach it that way anymore. You know, suddenly it's the things you're talking about, shore up the roster, figure out where all these, you you still have some of the same issues plaguing you. You know, how does Will Brennan fit? How does Owen Miller, do you want him to fit? How does Tyler Freeman fit? Where does Gabriel Arias fit? The pitching situation. What are you going to do with Shane Bieber? How close are Espino and Williams and Bybee? Um, there are there are still legitimate questions, and, and these will be the, the topics we discuss this offseason. But it's different because now you're trying to answer those questions in the lens of we have the foundation in place and the goal is a World Series. Whereas it, I think they expected it to be we have some of these questions and that's okay because there's ample playing time for Will Brennan and we can go slowly with those starting pitching prospects and we can trade Bieber for more prospects. Things are different. And so the questions you thought you were going to have this offseason, some of them are the same. But the context with, in which you have to answer them has changed quite a bit. And that's happening maybe sooner than people hoped in large part due to what happened in Game 5. Now you can look back on Game 1 where you said that was a winnable game and you look back on, on that at the end of the series and think, oh, geez, if, if you had just a couple of things had gone differently, maybe this series ends up different. And maybe if they somehow found a way to get game one, they don't get game three. You know, all of these things change. But it all led to a game five, and I can't run from it. I said I would prefer Aaron Savali to start. I certainly wish I could have a redo on that. Hit that laugh track. <laughs> I wish I had I don't have a laugh. I have this. I do want to correct correct one notion I had seen. I don't know how prevalent it is. You know, you, st- you don't know how on social media you see one person saying it, so you just assume everybody thinks this. No, it could just be one person that is off base, and you just get to yell at them as if it's thousands of people thinking this. I had read someone say uh, Cleveland got too cute. They were thinking about game one against the Astros. That's why Bieber didn't pitch. I read that a lot. I'm glad you're addressing this. Correct me if I'm wrong. That had nothing to do with their decision in game five. Correct. It, it was not a cute. It was not a set us up to go win the next series before we even get there. To me, I read it as we don't think Shane Bieber on three days rest will be as effective as a combination of Aaron Savali starting and our bullpen. It's unfortunate that we'll never get to see that scenario. We, we don't know how Bieber would have fared in that game. It's fortunate for those that made the, the argument for Bieber to pitch in that game that we also don't get to see how it played out. So you get the unprovable argument here. Of course, you can just say, ah, it should have been Bieber because we never get to see whether or not it should have been Bieber. I thought you raised a good point that Bieber had a very similar scuffle in the first inning. In his game, in Game 2, he gave up a home run to Giancarlo Stanton. Same thing that happened to Aaron Savali. The difference is in Game 2, 
You get to stretch your legs and settle in a little bit. Aaron mm-hmm. Savali wasn't going to get that benefit. But it was there was never a realistic thought within Cleveland. I don't think. I mean, I'm sure they debated it, but I don't think it was realistically on the table that Bieber was going to start that game. It's interesting because I had a lot of Yankees fans in my mentions throughout the weekend. And so it was difficult for me to try to sort out how who was saying what. I saw a lot of people, I think Cleveland people, saying Savali's the right move. And I just wonder if Bieber started on three days rest and got shelled the same way, would people have been saying Savali, they should have started Savali? Because the hindsight was twenty twenty, and a lot of people were criticizing the team for the decision they made. And I just feel like they would have done that either way. Um, yeah, I, you're right. Be, like Bieber struggled in that first inning, and, and the reason he struggled was because he was just nibbling and nibbling and nibbling and then got in a 3-2 count and missed a cutter by a couple inches where he wanted it, and Stanton crushed it. And that's pretty much what happened to Savali. And we talked about it a little bit. Well, hold on. Crushed? Crushed? I mean, he hit it hard. No, he did. But it was what what it. I think the Discord had it as three, three ballparks. That would have been a home run. <laughs> well, I don't think that's right. I think it was ten. Was it ten? Maybe I yeah. was looking at the judge one. I, I don't. I don't know. I I know at some point someone had posted home run in three of, of the ballparks. Of course, I mean, that's, that's like... just the that's the home field advantage that the Yankees get when they're playing a game five in their place. Yeah. It looked like. It should have been a double. Anyway, point is, what you don't have, and you ne- you didn't see this with Nestor Cortez because Cleveland just had no discipline again, and he had a bunch of innings where he threw like 10 pitches or less. But what you lose on short rest a lot of times, and if you go back and look at the numbers of guys starting on short rest, the ERAs, almost five, and the track record's not good, you lose that sharpness. You lose some of your command. And so, like, I'm not saying... We said before, like, I don't know what the right answer is. I said that I don't think there is a right answer or a wrong answer, and the team is going to have a better feel for this than we ever will. They know these pitchers inside and out. They talk to their medical people. They have data that we don't have. So... Yeah, we can we can make a criticism and we can disagree or agree, but like we don't have all the information, so it's honestly a little pointless. But when you're pitching on short rest, if you don't have that perfect command, which is so critical for Bieber, who's to say that the same thing won't happen? Like we're we're never gonna know the answer. So what happened happened. And in the in the end, the bottom line there. You did get out of that inning with just the three runs allowed, and your offense never gave you a chance. One run. That was it. The thing that you can maybe argue here, and this is the only potential criticism that I see, I think I think there's an element of this that's unfair, that I had this thought, but I'll share it anyway. What, what, what? <laughs> there's no filter here. The same things you're saying about Bieber were potentially there for Savali, and they were there for Savali because he hadn't pitched, so he's not sharp. So you're facing a 
a dilemma between a, a pitcher that is on three days rest, so maybe the stuff's not as good, maybe the command is not as good, and there's data probably to back that up. I'm sure they looked at what, is, what do Bieber's pitches do as far as stuff? Well, every team now has some sort of stuff metric, some sort of location metric, and they're able to track that throughout a start. So when they see, when everyone's complaining about a guy coming out after 100 pitches, there's because there's data to back up this stuff is not as good. Maybe for a pitcher, it's after 80 pitches. Maybe it's after 90 pitches. But there's data to back that up. And I'm sure they, as you said, they looked at all of that with Bieber. It was still going to be there with Savali because he's operating on too much rest. He has not pitched. So there's going to be probably some element of feeling his stuff out in the early going. There was always a potential that he was not going to be able to command. Now, he didn't get some help on some close calls off the edges. That's the umpire you were you were going to have to to try to win over. He's known as a hitter's umpire. So you knew that going into the game. The argument that you could make is don't pick either of those pitchers. Go with your bullpen. Go with a full bullpen game. Start the game with what De Los Santos. Started with Stefan. Started with, with Henches. Started with anybody. But go with a bullpen sort of game. I still thought Savali was the better option and just keep a very close eye on that. Have a quick hook. My thought, and this is where the unfair part comes in, when he went a four-pitch walk right off the, the rip there, first batter, I would have had somebody warming up. When he hit Rizzo, and you now had two guys on facing Stanton, I would have went to the bullpen. Whoa. To whom? The, anybody. Class A. <laughs> Class A, yes. I would have had, my leash would have been so short that if I saw his command not there with the first batter and it was not, and I think after the third hitter you could see, it was going to take him some time to get settled in, and that was not time you had. That's the, the level of leash I would have had on Savali. Am I being unfair there? Is, it was, was, would that have been crazy to say, bullpen, we're going to the bullpen already, because here comes Stanton with two guys on base and a guy that is fighting his command early in the game. If it wasn't Stanton and it was anybody else, if it was Oswaldo Cabrera stepping up to the plate in that situation, would you still have pulled him? No. Okay. No. A lot of it had to do with the fact that I did not want one of their boppers coming up with two guys on base, and he can't find it coming out of the gate. Then he never should have started anyway. Because you didn't trust him against their hitters they're good hitters one time so then he never should have been in that situation well i i said to me it was more about having two guys on base if it was just one but you can't I would just have stuck with savali but then you're having two guys on base right that's when i would have pulled him that's the problem with games like this that's why you can get too smart and you think you can script all this out and you can't and you just assume the bullpen is never going to give up a run. It's never going to get in jams. And you're saying, oh, I'll start this guy, and then I'll have this lesser pitcher face the bottom of the order. It never plays out that seamlessly. I said that I thought Trevor Steffen should have started. He is, first of all, he's he was unbelievably dominant the whole playoffs. He's a fantastic matchup for their big boppers. And he had starting experience in the minors. So you could have him warm up. He's not, that's not unfamiliar to him. The problem is they kept saying Savali's so routine oriented 
And that hinted to me that him coming in in relief was not an option. So could you have gotten through nine innings without him and without Bieber? They did. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's the scenario well, that played they out. Through, they got through eight, though, not nine. <laughs> they didn't need the ninth. So I I just wondered if you could have just gone about this with Stefan for two or th- I mean, he pitched into a third inning. I think Hensches could have done the same. I wonder if you could have gotten as much as you needed out of just your relievers. Maybe there would have been a point where the middle to bot, like the five through nine comes up and you can go to Morgan or De Los Santos in the middle of the game. And that's how you bridge the gap yeah. there. I think that could have been an option. But again, in that scenario, you're just assuming that so much is going to go right. And it's tough to do. So we can. This will be a point of contention all winter. It should be, and, yeah, sure. And go when if they make the playoffs next year, we'll revisit the topic, I'm sure. And I think, one, it's fitting. Mother Nature is not going to let this season end without one, one final Thanks, NASA. impact. <laughs> and two... There are some benefits to having a first round bye. That no, that a, can't be. Nope, nope. That can't be <laughs> the case. Because all I heard about the need to protect all of the top seeds and that they can't advance because of what happened in the National League. And then oh what what do I see? All the freaking top seeds advancing in the American League. So is it a narrative or is it not a narrative? Is that narrative dead? Is it continue? Do we still need to protect the top seeds? What are we here? So much of national media reporting is the laziest bullshit ever okay like god really we're just gonna have a story about oh the cute midwestern story of cleveland is is it's been nice but it's time for the team that everybody wants to see advance to face the astros to do so all right get out of here like seriously have a thought that has a little complexity for once anyway what were we saying (laughs) Pitching. The Bieber should have started, and they got too cute. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> the Yankees got to start Garrett Cole twice on regular rest. That's the advantage of not having to play a first round. So, maybe that's something to strive for next year. And when you know it, the Yankees got to put two guys in the game that probably would not have been available, or at least not available to the the length that they were in Game 5, the sequel due to the rain, in Holmes and Peralta. So that helped them. It benefited them. I I laughed at the beginning of the game. The broadcast is just doubling, tripling down whenever anyone other than Bob Costas spoke, which was about 10% of the time, that the rain was somehow helping both teams because now all the teams are well-rested. Nope, the the Guardians were well-rested. They were ready to go. They had everybody available outside of Cody Morris, basically. Ready to go in that game. And the rain came. Don't sell me on both teams benefiting. Nope. (laughs) And I'm not saying, even realistically here, I'm not saying that the the victory for the Yankees doesn't count. or It's an excuse. It's also a reason. Cleveland probably would have benefited from playing, and that's why they wanted to play before the rain out on Monday night. But it happened. 
just like the rain happened throughout most of the season. And of course, it became a storyline for a team that was just constantly washed out this year. So I'm not, I'm not saying it's the only reason why the Yankees advanced or anything like that. No, no. But in, in the postseason, fortunate things happen. You know, some teams have to get lucky. <laughs> just like the Guardians were apparently all season long. Can I add one quick thing? And I tweeted about this. Is this NASA related? It's not. It, maybe it is. Maybe they need to do a better job of monitoring these baseball games and letting these managers know you don't have to challenge because we have somebody sitting up in a booth that's taking a look at every close play. This does not remove Cleveland from the head-scratching decision to not challenge that ball that Jimenez would, should have been safe on at first base. You wouldn't have known it in real time. The only reason Rizzo didn't, I mean, his momentum should have taken him into the bag, but just the dirt as it met his glove, it just stopped him enough that it played tricks on the eyes, but if you broke it down, you saw Jimenez reach first base before Rizzo's glove. Why was there no challenge? Maybe you can shed some light on that. My bigger point is, why is it on the teams to make this choice? Why is it on the teams to tell the umpires, hey, you screwed something up, we have to tell you to go check that? Why we, we are at a point where we have so much technology and you can get this done so quickly. Why is there not somebody just monitoring every close play and every time you take a quick look for 10 seconds, you go, hold on, everybody. Let's go take a look at this because it was pretty close. Remove it from the managers completely and you can get it done in like 30 seconds. I'm convinced. Why are we not doing this? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, the NFL has similar rules, right? You get two challenges, scoring, but scoring, scoring plays. They're, yeah, they're looking at everything. Scoring plays in baseball, as we discovered with the Austin Hedges home plate blocking thing, scoring plays should be reviewed regardless. You should have someone monitoring every single game. I don't know why they don't do that until the challenge happens or the review is called for anyway i think that's a good question with so with the the situation in game five it was a matter of francona said they just they didn't they ran out of time i don't know if that means they didn't get the replay the specific camera angle that they were hoping for you know mike barnett (laughs) is has a pretty good track record at this and i don't it's also like i don't is it a talent i mean it's kind of like it's not really a job that anyone prepares for i think each team just kind of throws someone into that role and you you learn as you go um i don't know if you can practice i don't know if you can get better at it but he's had a pretty good track record there were a bunch of times during the season when um somehow it came up in a press conference or something with just giving him credit because he caught something that maybe people didn't realize was needed to be reversed or what what have you. You know, I never got to write this. I don't know that I will. Mike Barnett was their good luck charm. Um, he is one of Terry Francona's longtime close friends. He's a longtime hitting coach. And he helps with some advanced scouting in addition to the the replay duties and you know, it's, it's it's such a weird thing because I, I see 
They don't challenge that yesterday. And look, they they I tweeted the other day like some odd decisions going on. They challenging things that didn't need to be challenged and not challenging the one in game five that should have been. But I don't know what access they have. I don't know what camera angles they get. And they get 20 seconds to make a decision. I don't envy that job. But I'm seeing people saying, Mike Barnett needs to be fired. He's got to be held accountable. Tito's got to fire him. And it's like, okay, but like there aren't people who are like in replay review school who are about to get their certificate and you can hire it. Like it's not, it's it's not like you're firing the special teams coach and you go replace him with the special teams coach from Alabama. Like it's 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 such a weird gig. Like, are you firing the guys who cut up video and and play it in the clubhouse for hitters to watch so that they can prepare for a pitcher if they have a bad game? No, you fire the hitting coach. So it's just it's just like a weird such a weird spot. Anyway, Barnett, Tito, he's like the brunt of every Tito prank. He, he's 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 the guy who just takes it from Tito constantly. And Tito's favorite thing to do is to just take some clippers and cut or shave part of his hair off. And he does this if Mike Barnett falls asleep on the team plane. He does this He'll just walk up from behind and do it in coach's office. But it became a thing. And he's done this for years. He does it all the time. There was a day in spring training where Mike Barnett's walking around the complex and poor guy doesn't even know that he's missing a big chunk of his hair. His hair grows back fast, too, which might be a bad thing. Anyway, this became a, a ritual. You know, Tito always did this, and then before the Tampa series in the wild card round, Mike Barnett stood in the middle of the clubhouse. Terry Francona had the Clippers, and the players got to join in. Did it again before the Yankees series. Players got to join in. Ran out of hair. Had to go to the chest. So one by oh one, players God. players are taking the Clippers and they're just shaving a bit off. This became their good luck. Charm. They, they it was like major league with the the cardboard cutout. Um, but obviously it falls short and in an ironic twist, or maybe a misel jinx because I was gonna write about it. He's the guy getting uh getting some some frustration from the fans. Who would have thought the replay coordinator would would be the ire of everybody? So in, in this case, it would be fitting to say that they got him by a hair at first base. That's what was so, so surprising about this. They had such a, a chat. Well, I guess it was challenging for them to figure out the challenges in the postseason. They were very bad at it. They, they chose to, to challenge some very interesting calls and then not challenge that one in game five it's not always it's not in a situation of replay it's not all on one person the the person that's in the video room in this case it's mike barnett is checking the replay they relate that to demarlo hale in the dugout and then he gives him a thumbs up or thumbs down and then in that moment tito has to decide is that close enough that he's not operating with a full uh, 
context of what Barnett just saw, he's just getting a thumbs up or a thumbs down. That's why it's so crazy to me that this happens within 10 seconds. There's, there's no shade of gray here. As a manager, you're just getting a thumbs up. So then you have to say, well, was it close enough that I should use my challenge here? Should I save that challenge in my back pocket? You don't know. There's no, there's no like scale of one to 10. I'm, I feel I'm, this is a 10. I feel super confident about this. Well, if you give a thumbs up because you're at like five and a half on your scale, as a manager, you're just getting a thumbs up. And so you just assume, challenge this call. You don't know if it's, is it, you kind of think you got him. It's maybe worth a challenge, but you don't know. Is it worth challenging in this moment? Or is it so close that you shouldn't challenge it at all? There's, there's a lot of gray area that I just wish Major League Baseball would remove by taking that out of the manager's hand. And I'm not saying that there aren't certain, like, keep a challenge for the teams. If there's something that everybody missed and you want them to take a look at, fine. I don't have an issue with that. But there should just be somebody that's, especially in the postseason, how is there not somebody just monitoring every play and just hit a buzzer down to the umpire to just tell them, hey, hold on, just one second, keep everybody where they're at. Let me just take five seconds to look at this. It just seems so easy to me. And the national writers, they get every, every narrative they want to push on every little small thing that happens. You know, somebody jams a foot on the base. Are the bases too hard? Should they make the bases softer? Someone crams into a, a railing. Why the railings? Why, why we're hurting the players? We need to change everything. This is what happens in the postseason. One small thing happens and we got to change the whole rule book. Well, there's, this is mine. Putting my foot down right here. Change the replay system and take it out of the team's hands. Damn it. Seems so simple. Will we get more or less TJ unhinged during the offseason? <laughs> I'm hoping we have more TJ unhinged appearances than truly great Andres Jimenez moments in the postseason. Yeah, there weren't many. There's so much talk about this brand of baseball not working in the postseason. They still had more hits than the Yankees did. They, they think they had more base in every runners game. than the Yankees did. But it didn't culminate in more runs. Now, you knew the Yankees don't need a ton of hits because they're relying on home runs. I think it's less of a of a peek into what this style of baseball does in the postseason, and it speaks more to the guys that actually do hit for power for Cleveland. You're, you're thinking of it, what? It's Jose, Jimenez, Naylor, and Gonzalez, right? Those are the four that you would expect to hit for some power. Gonzalez did a little bit. Jose had great numbers as far as the batting average goes, but his hits were not damaging. There, there were the, the times in Game 5. One big blow with one critical home run didn't come. And Andres Jimenez did not. He didn't hit for much power at all in this postseason. I think he had one double off the top of my head. He had a base hit that drove in a run. Wasn't completely absent, but none of those hits were the, of the damaging variety. Is it a case of the offense style, the offensive style not working? Or is it just that the star players that are in this on this team, the all-star second baseman, the all-star third baseman, they didn't hit many of those big Jose did, I guess, in game one of the wild card series. But where were those big home runs, the power that you're hoping to get from the few guys in the lineup that do hit for power? I think all of the above. I think I think a big part was 
the lack of plate discipline plus really good pitching equals a lot more strikeouts. And that does not jibe with the style of offense that they need to play. You got to put the ball in play. How many times did they not get the runner home from third? Whether it was bases loaded against Tampa, second and third against the Yankees in game five, and they couldn't get their run home. So, yeah, I think I think a couple things. One, we've talked about maybe this isn't their brand of offense next season because the personnel is different. You don't have to play this way. And that's not to say you don't want to be aggressive on the bases with the guys who should be aggressive on the bases, but there just might be fewer of them or there might be more people capable of hitting the ball out of the ballpark. I don't think we need to make a referendum on what can and can't work in the playoffs. Like, the Phillies might go to the freaking World Series, so (laughs) random shit can happen. Things can work for a couple weeks that you didn't think they would until you got here. But I don't think that just because that they bought into this particular style, which they started cultivating in spring training, they committed to it then. So it's not like this just happened over the course of the season and it's like, oh, okay, well, this works, we'll do it. No, they were planning this because they knew the personnel they had. It doesn't mean you have to stick with that moving forward. You see what your personnel is and you go from there. Like, would you not add Giancarlo Stanton to this lineup because he doesn't bloop the ball and he doesn't run? His 211 batting average? (laughs) I don't know, dude. I don't know. Framil Reyes would have been a great, different sort of player to stick in the middle of this offense, but he was not Framil Reyes. But that sort of hitter? that is capable of hitting thir- another 30 home run hitter in this lineup, occupying the spot that was just a rotating DH at the end of the year. And Will Brennan caught fire for a little bit, but I think he was exposed a little bit on some velocity in the postseason. And maybe that's why they hit him away, so the teams wouldn't know to attack him with 97-mile-per-hour fastballs. I don't know, but yeah. And we're going to have an entire offseason to pick all of that apart. But we're not there yet. Got a lot of time to go. And uh, a lot of fun to be had. I'm looking forward. This is going to be a great offseason. A lot of offseasons maybe you don't feel great about. This one could be fun. It, it's almost Halloween already. It's crazy. What are you going to be for Halloween? You. I'm going to be TJ. Ooh, what does that costume look like? I don't know. How do you get all of just my greatness into one costume? How's that possible? That would be pretty cool if we came on here and I had your face on. (laughs) Would it be like The Office? You're going to look like Dwight? Okay, bye.